I got to tell you, um, today's message, um, I'm excited for, for many reasons, but one of which is because this message spoke to me in so many different ways during uh, brain surgery, after brain surgery. And really, the series title uh, came uh, through that time of recovery. And by the way, if you are just joining us, uh, welcome home, by the way. Can, can we just welcome our guests and welcome those that are online? Um, it's still amazing to me that we've got at least a dozen different states and at least three nations that watch us every Sunday. So we love our online family as well. So can we give them an even bigger hand? And we're grateful for technology. We love you guys. It's great to have you here with us uh, this morning. But we've been on a series called Marked. And the series, it kind of highlights the journey that we must all go through to get where God has called us to go. And let me just mention that if you've not had a chance to watch the last three weeks message, or if you missed one, I encourage you to go and to watch them because it's going to give you a much clearer picture of the things that God wants to do um, in your life, uh, both in you and through you. But today I want us to go and to shift from talking about David and looking to another person in the Bible who doesn't quite get the airtime that David gets, but yet his life plays an equally vital role in the story of God. And just like we saw in the story of David, this person's life has many, many lessons for us to, to learn from, both of what to do, but also what not to do. And so today I want us to look at the patriarch Jacob. And we're going to start in Genesis chapter 32. So if you have your Bible, I encourage you to open it up to Genesis 32, verse 22. The Bible says, that night Jacob got up and took his two, uh, two wives. We'll talk about that in a future series. <laughs> One thing at a time. <laughs> Jacob got up, took his two wives, uh, his two female servants, and 11 sons, and he crossed the ford of the Jabbok. And he sent them across the streams, and he sent all of his possessions. Jacob was left alone. And oftentimes, this is when God will do his greatest work. Unencumbered by all the distractions and the opinions of people, and even the comfort of those whom we love. It's at this place that God often will mark you. Verse 24 says, so Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. Now, we're going to be jumping around to various parts of Jacob's life, but I wanted us to start here in chapter 32, because here we find someone who has walked through a lot of things in his life leading up to this point. For example, like Jacob literally was born 
in the shadow of his older twin brother Esau, whom Jacob's father Isaac favored over Jacob. Now, I don't know what that's like because I was an only child, but I'm sure that there are some of you here who can relate to that. But, you know, I don't think that it takes us having to have siblings to know what it's like when you're in a relationship where you long for the love and the affection or the admiration of someone, but you don't receive it in the way that you want it, yet you see someone else receiving it. Right? Like, that can be true of a marriage. That can be true of a friend. It could be true in the workplace. And so we see this struggle that Jacob's had leading up to this point in Genesis 32. And I'm not going to read all of the story about Jacob for time's sake because this spans right about 10 chapters in the scripture. But what we see here is Jacob finally getting the very thing that he wanted, yet he still seems unfulfilled. How many of you know that you can chase that dollar? You can chase that title. You can chase the praise and the affirmation of people. But once you get what you've chased, you're still unfulfilled. See, I think that there's a, a likeness between Jacob and what many of us face. Of the conflict between who we really are and how we want others to perceive us. The conflict of our actuality and who we think that we're supposed to be. But hopefully, in the process, we'll learn to let go of our pretenses so that we can embrace who we really are. See, the call of God and the marking of God, here's what you've got to understand. It may not always be evident in our lives. But as you read about any great man or woman of God in Scripture, including Jacob, there's always an undertaking and a developing that God wants to do in our hearts before we arrive at our God-appointed destiny. Now, as I mentioned earlier, uh, Jacob doesn't get quite the airtime as others in the Bible, but I love reading about Jacob. And I chose Jacob because I feel like uh, in Scripture, there's no one who quite illustrates that inner conflict that we all experience in a more exciting and uh, perhaps enlightening way than Jacob. And I also chose him because he's complicated. Just like you, me, and your spouse, and your teenager, and your boss, and your in-laws. <laughs> but I love that in the midst of all of our complications, God still loves us. And he's marked us with purpose and destiny. So understand that today's message isn't for me to give you a biography on Jacob, but rather it's for us to have an encounter an encounter with ourselves, but even more importantly, an encounter with God. Genesis chapter 32, the passage that I just read, uh, Jacob is engaged in a wrestling match at night. My wife always corrects me. I got it right. I always say wrestling because I'm from Kentucky. So wrestling in a wrestling match at night, right? And, and he's not quite sure who he's wrestling here, but he's real tenacious about it. And I point it out because this isn't the only time that we see Jacob wrestling in Scripture. As a matter of fact, the very first time that we read about Jacob, we see him wrestling, and he hadn't even been born yet. In Genesis chapter 25, so if you want to flip back about a good eight chapters, the Scripture says, and starting in 21 and 22, 25, 21, and 22, Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife. 
since she was unable to conceive children. And the Lord responded to him, and his wife, Rebecca, became pregnant. Always pr- uh, make sure you know what you're praying for because you just might get it, right? But when the infants kept on wrestling each other inside her womb, she asked herself, why is this happening? So she asked the Lord for an explanation. This scripture causes me to think that perhaps there's always a conflict in the womb of anything that God desires to give birth to in the world. And I wonder if this is not symbolic of the inner conflict that we all face whenever a a dream is born or when a destiny is born or when a purpose is born. And the scripture then says that Rebecca prays the prayer that I know that every mother in this room has prayed at some point. Why is this happening to me, (laughs) right? And so she asked the Lord for an explanation, which, by the way, is always the right thing and the thing that we should do anytime there's a conflict within you and you don't understand it. And you have to wonder, why is this happening in me? Yet you know what I think that we often do is we go and we, we take that thing to our friends, right? We, we, we go to those that we know are already going to be aligned with our predetermined verdict. Or we throw it out there on social media as if Susie or Tommy, who you've not even seen in high school, is going to be able to give you the wisdom that you need. But what we need to do is to take it to the Lord in prayer. Because he's the only one who can tell you what he put in you. And he's the only one who really knows what's going on on the inside. And so God answers Rebecca in verse 23 and says, two nations are in your womb. The Lord responded, and and two separate people will emerge. One people will be the stronger and the older will serve the younger. Now, I find this particular verse interesting because as we read later on, Esau is clearly the stronger of the two. Like the Bible describes him as a man's man. It says that he was a a skillful hunter, a man of the field. He could skin a buck and run a trot line. He was also the firstborn, and he was his father's favorite son. But Jacob is described as a quiet man man who dwelt in the tents. He was a homebody. Esau would go out and kill an elk, but Jacob was just content to stay back at home and cook. And the Bible says that Jacob was his mom's favorite son. I guess you could say that Jacob was a mama's boy. How many guys are mama's boys? Anyone? Man, you brave for raising your hand, brother. <laughs> I love it. That's a secure man right there to right there. <laughs> But watch this. This is what's real interesting, is that God doesn't pick the stronger of the two. God chose Jacob. But Jacob had to learn to accept who he was before God could use him. Because you see, church, until we admit who we are, we can never become who God wants us to be. Then in verse 25, it lays out what those twins' birth looks like. It says that the first son came out reddish. His entire body was covered with hair, and so they named him Esau. After that, his brother came out with his hand clutching Esau's heel, so they named him Jacob. And by the way, the name Jacob means heel grabber. And so Jacob was stuck with this name his whole life. 
But of course, as we'll read later on, and I'll talk about it, Jacob also means, may God protect or reward or usurper. Now, Jacob's name, Hill Grabber, was kind of indicative of how he lived his life, like constantly grabbing at the heel of Esau. Now, in the following verses, we read about Jacob ransoming Esau's birthright for a bowl of stew. Instead of Jacob embracing who God had made him to be and trusting that God would bring about the desires of his heart, Jacob puts his trust in himself. Rather than having a God-first focus, he had a me-first mentality. Church, I think that there's a temptation that exists for each and every one of us to try and strive and focus on self. To think that if we're ever going to do anything great, that we have to be better than the other guy. But can I just tell you, first of all, that if you're trying to live your life that way, you're going to end up exhausted. And this point is so crucial because this is applicable to each and every one of us. I mean, I've never met a person who hasn't struggled with putting themselves first and with them comparing themselves to the others around them. Hey, I have three kids, and I've never had to teach any of them to say mine. Come on, y'all with me? But I've had to teach all of them and still have to remind them even as teenagers to say please. You see, my daughters are just like me and you and Jacob. We were all born with this sinful nature and a me-first attitude in a me-first world. But how can we serve a God and have a God-first focus and also live in a me-first world? Because we're bombarded with all kinds of marketing that's constantly selling us the message of me first. And so here's what I really want you to catch this morning. God has uniquely designed you for the specific destiny that he has for you. And watch this, what you see that may be, uh, may be appearing as lacking in your life is just God's opportunity to come in and to show himself strong through you. Hey, watch this, what if God intentionally left something out in the natural, which appeared to you as to be something that was absolutely necessary in order to fulfill your dreams, but he did so because he wants to be that in your life. I mean, have you ever considered that? There's a scripture, and I remember the day that this scripture came alive to me and just brought revelation. And you know, that's one of the many reasons that we need to be reading the word of God, because there will be times that you'll read things in the scripture. This was even after I was a Bible college graduate. So I had clearly already read this scripture, and because it was in the New Testament, I had to transcribe uh, the Greek over to English. And so it didn't hit me like then, like it did when I read it this later time. This is one of the many reasons we need to continue to read the Bible. You don't just read it one time, like, oh, I'm done with that. But God's word is alive, and it's breathing, and it will continually speak to our hearts if we will all just but put ourselves in it and invest our time in it. But Philippians 2, 1, I was reading this, and it just came alive to my heart. I pray that it comes alive in your heart right now. It says, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love. I mean, that's a pretty big 
prerequisite statement right there of saying, if there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any comfort from love, watch this, any participation in the Spirit. Now stop right there. I want us to dial in on that phrase, any participation in the Spirit. One of the many glorious things that I love about our destiny is this right here, is that we get to fulfill it in participation with the Holy Spirit. Isn't that beautiful? Like God could have went ahead and said, no, you're on your own. Or God says, you know what? You can't do anything, so I got this, right? But God comes along and partners with us and says that we can have a participation in the Spirit. You see, you've got a part to play, and he has a part to play. And so if you feel like there is a part that's been left out in your life, don't worry. That's not your part. Listen, God is good at being God. Hey, I know there's a lot of people who want to apply for his job, but I assure you, unless you have the ability to speak and cause galaxies to be born, you don't come close to having the qualifications. Understatement of the year. Yet if we trust that God is who God says that he is, and he is, he will do the work in our life and cause us to land exactly where we're supposed to land. I feel like there's something on that right there, like someone needs to hear that word. So if that's you, just grab a hold of that and say, man, I grab a hold of that. God's going to cause you to land exactly where you're supposed to land as you stay surrendered to him. And in the process, he's going to set us free from a me-first mentality that constantly strives to play the role that's been assigned to him. And once he's done with that work, we'll find ourselves entering into his rest. It's a beautiful place to be. Are y'all catching this this morning, church? All right, okay. Let me share something else with you that I think is very practical. I know I'm in y'all's face sometimes. I, I love this. Um, I don't know which of you it was. It was, it was one of our, our newer people that's only been coming for a short period of time. Says, man, I love this church. It says, but you're constantly in my face, but I love that. And church, you know what? I, I know I'm in y'all's face as a pastor a lot. I get that. But man, uh, maybe it's just because I was an athlete and uh, I had coaches that challenged me. And, and because of that challenge, it caused me to rise up. So when I challenge you guys, it's from the place of love because I want you to become better. You know what? I know that I could come up here, and I'm going to just kind of, if I can just for a minute, I, I could preach a seven-point sermon that's going to make everyone feel good and make, man, bless God, I'm prospered, I'm, and, you know, and walk out of here, and we could fill this room up. But guess what? I want to create disciples in this room that's burning hot for God, that's not lukewarm. Amen? So here's a little practical tip. This obviously had to set you up for what I'm about to say. <laughs> if you struggle with constantly being offended, chances are you're suffering from a me-first mentality. And it's a miserable way to live. And again, I may not get a whole lot of amens from that statement, but let me tell you something. That is a truth, brother, that will set you free if you receive it. Because it's miserable when you come home bothered because somebody didn't recognize you at work. Because you think it's all about you. It's miserable whenever you go to church and you get offended just because someone didn't say hi to you. It's miserable when you can't learn to congratulate and celebrate the wins of others because 
you weren't the one being celebrated. And here's the irony behind a, a me first life. It actually ends up becoming counterproductive because the scripture says that the last will be first and the first will be last. Jesus also put it in another light in Luke chapter 9 and verse 25 when he says, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world, to go after all those accolades and titles and positions? What, what good is it and yet lose or forfeit their very self? I think the, the King James says lose their very soul. I, I love the actual translation there says self and to lose their self. I love the message translation uh, of this particular scripture. I'll read you it, plus maybe one and two before it, uh, in, in Luke 9, 23 through 25. It says this, and Jesus is speaking when he says, and then they told him um, what they could expect for themselves. He says, anyone who intends to come with me has to let me lead. You're not in the driver's seat. I am. Don't run from suffering. Embrace it. Follow me, and I'll show you how. Self-help is no help at all. Self-sacrifice is the way, my way, to finding yourself, your true self. What good would it be to get everything you want and lose you, the real you? So what good is it, Jacob, if you go and you grab after stuff, you grab after status, you grab after success. You grab after security. Only to find out that it left you further behind because in the process of grabbing after that stuff and that status and that security, you lose yourself. Some of you have lost yourself because you've been striving to be who God never called you to be. And when you begin to rest in who God has truly called you to be, you'll find yourself going from striving to thriving, from the place of pretense to a place of peace. Now, I do think that it's only fair that I highlight something. Um, Jacob seems to be the one who always gets the bad rap, um, but just understand um, that Esau had a part to play. I mean, in the whole ransoming of the birthright, yet Jacob, what he did... Uh, you know, but what about Esau here? And I also think there's a good lesson here, and that is this, is that we often give up what we want most for what we want now. And this is a tragic mistake. Whether it's a birthright, a delicious-looking fruit, a darling named Delilah, or 30 pieces of silver. Scripture shows us that what looks good now, it doesn't look so good in the end. Esau traded his birthright for a bowl of stew. Now, the birthright was an honor that was given to the firstborn son, bestowing head of household status and the right to inherit his father's estate. The son with the birthright would receive a double portion of whatever was passed down. But as crazy as a trade-off as this may seem to many of you, and as hard at the time as we give Esau for doing that, we see an even crazier trade-offs today. Like a few moments of pleasure that ruins a lifelong marriage. Or a minute of rage that carries a lifelong sentence. 
or in an appropriate action that's done at work that costs someone the job that they love. Or if I'm not hitting home yet, an hour of scrolling on social media where you could have been spending time with your kids. Or time invested in a TV show at the expense of time that could have been spent with God. Now listen, hear me church. I am not trying to condemn anyone. There's no condemnation for those in Christ. But watch this. I pray right now that the Spirit of God would convict those of us that this is applying to. It's convicting me a little bit. (laughs) Because all too often we sell ourselves cheap for who and what we love the most. But now back to Jacob. Jacob gets the birthright from Esau. But you see, there's a deeper problem when you live a me-first life. You see, whenever your life is centered around you, nothing is never enough. C.S. Lewis once said, we don't take pride in the possessions itself, but in having more of it than someone else. So it's not just enough that I'm thin. I have to be thinner than her. It's not just enough that I'm strong. I've got to be stronger than him. It's not just enough to be rich. I've got to be richer. It's not just enough that my kids are smart. They have to be smarter. And so we reach and we grab, but we're never satisfied. And the proof of this lies right here in the life of Jacob, because Jacob gets the birthright, but now he wants the blessing. The birthright gave Jacob a double portion of the inheritance, but The blessing was a spiritual matter. It meant those that blessed Jacob themselves would be blessed, but those that would curse him would be cursed. Now, if you're not familiar with the story, Isaac is getting old, and he knows that his days are few, and so he calls for Esau to give him the blessing. And he tells Esau to go out and to hunt some game for him and to come back and to make him something that he eat uh, to eat. And he said then he would bless him. And, of course, Rebecca, he overhears what's happening, and she puts emotion in place. So she has Jacob go and to get two young goats from their flock and use them to make a meal. And then the Bible says that she took the skin of the young goats, and she put them on Jacob's hand, his arm, and on his neck. Because Jacob had smooth skin, and Esau was hairy. And then she took some of Esau's best garments watch this, which she had in her house and put them on Jacob. Church, there's so many lessons from us to learn from this right here. So good. But, you know, I think oftentimes we give Jacob a hard time through this whole thing. And again, he, he deserves his share of the blame. But Rebecca is the one who is spearheading this whole deception. And this was a premed, I mean, is a premeditated act. I mean, what was she doing with Esau's clothes in her house. Which brings me to a point that I want to share with you. Be careful what you put on your kids. Don't try to make them into something that they're not. Rebecca, she does this, and she ends up losing Jacob in the end. Come on, that's a free parenting advice right there that some of you parents need to grab a hold of. Now, I'm not going to read the story for time's sake. You can read it in Genesis 27, verses 18 through 27. But the Bible says that Jacob gets the blessing, 
However, Esau finds out what's happened whenever he returns, and he vows to kill Jacob. And so Jacob then goes on the run and into hiding for 21 years. You know, it's possible to get what you want and then not want what you've got if you get it the wrong way. I mean, what good is the blessing if you have to leave your home and go into hiding? Listen to me just for a moment, young ladies, especially my teenage girls, but all my young ladies who you dress a certain way. This isn't who you are, but it gets you the attention you want. But what good is that attention if you have to dress up to get it? Because it isn't really you who's getting the attention. It's the you that you're pretending to be. But what kind of love is that? Young teenage boys who you have a heart and a compassion for others, but you go to school and so you pretend to be hard because you don't want to be seen as a punk. You're dressing up as Esau, but that's not who you really are. Listen to me. God can't bless who you pretend to be. Adults, who I know many of you have found some success in life. You've acquired some stuff. You've got the position. You've won some accolades. But in the process, you've lost yourself. You know, it's unfortunate, but sometimes it seems that it takes us getting all we ever wanted to realize it's not what we needed. So Jacob gets what he wants, but he has to go on the run. And now he carries with him the label of deceiver, manipulator, and thief. But now watch this. This is where the tide shifts. This is what I, I love about God. He's bigger than any label that has ever been placed on you. Even if that label is true, as was the case with Jacob here. You've got to know that we serve a God who is able to remove the labels that have been fixed on our lives. Now, I want us to look back in Genesis chapter 32. And there's a lot that's happened in Jacob's life between chapter 25 all the way up to chapter 32. We're not going to cover it today. That, that's your homework assignment to do, right? Okay? And so in Genesis 32, Jacob is now 97 years old. A large portion of his life has already been lived. Jacob then decides it's time to go back and to make things right with his brother. During his travel, he comes to a stream where he sends all of his earthly possessions to the other side along with everyone that was with him. And just when he thinks that he's all alone, he finds himself in the presence of one far greater than he could have ever possibly imagined. And this is the verses that we read in the beginning of the message today in Genesis 32, 23 through 30. And here Jacob finds himself in a wrestling match with God. And he realizes that the only person who could really bless him is right in front of him. And the Bible says that he touches his hip and he puts it out of socket. The Bible says that Jacob is hurting, but he refuses to let go. You know, you can consider yourself in a safe place with God when it's easier to let go, but you hang on anyway. God asks Jacob his name. He acknowledges who he is and says, Jacob. And God blesses him and changes his name from Jacob to Israel. 
But catch this, because on the surface, one might just think that there's just a name change going on here. But something supernatural is taking place. God was changing Jacob at the deepest level. Because who Jacob believed that he was, was no longer true. You see, the name Jacob, as I mentioned earlier, it, it means usurper or deceiver. But the name Israel means triumphant with God. So Jacob would no longer be labeled as a deceiver, but rather an overcomer. God took off the label that was on Jacob and placed a new one on him, which was his God-ordained destiny. And if you read the rest of the story of Jacob, by the way, it's a beautiful picture of grace and forgiveness as Esau and Jacob reunite. See, once God has reconciled you to himself and to yourself, then he can reconcile you to others. Church, I'm going to leave you with one last thought, but would you guys stand to your feet with me if you would? I believe the same power that changed Jacob to Israel is available to us today. To set us free from trying to be someone else and, and constantly striving. And to break free from the labels that have been attached to us. But you must be willing to say yes to a few questions. Rather than just Asking we, I want to ask you, are you willing to wrestle with God? Are you willing to do the hard work of pressing into him unlike you have ever done before? Are you willing to surrender your life to the truth of his word? Are you willing to believe what he says about you more than what others say about you? Are you willing to fight that kind of fight? Jacob fought that fight and he came out different as a result. I guess you could say that Jacob was marked. His walk was never the same. And when we press into God and fully surrender every aspect of our lives, when we're willing to fight the fight needed to find freedom and to step into our God-ordained destiny, it too will change our walk. Many years ago, Jody and I heard a pastor say, leaders walk with a limp. And he was referencing Jacob whenever he made the statement. And, and where I tried to grab it in the cognizant, I, I, I didn't fully understand what that meant until uh, I mean, when I heard it, it wasn't until I had been through a few wrestling matches of my own since hearing those words. And uh, I now not only know about the limp, but I have a limp of my own. Look, church, life is hard. I don't think that I have to work hard at convincing any of you of that. But God will use difficulty to bring us closer to him. When we wrestle with grief, when we wrestle with why bad things happen to good people, I wrestle with it too. When we wrestle with our health, broken dreams, 
when we wrestle with God with it, we come out different. We might even have a limp. (laughs) But if we hold on to Jesus, we'll be better. So I just want to ask, if you're here this morning, you're tired of walking in defeat. You're tired of doubt. You're tired of constantly dealing with discouragement. Then it's time to press into God unlike you have ever done before and allow him to touch your life and to cause you to walk away a different person. Amen. Let's pray, church. Father, thank you for being so good. Thank you for your loving kindness that leads us to repentance. God, I ask that we would see ourselves as you see us. And I pray, God, that you would remove any labels that have been attached to our lives. Give us eyes to see things as you see. Give us ears to hear truth. Wash us. Renew us. Cause a fresh fire to burn hot in our souls. Jesus, your name, your renown is the desire of our heart. May we bring you glory in everything that we do. May we fix our eyes on heaven. May we daily take up our cross and follow you. Mark us, O God. May we live each day going from glory to glory. May the fruit of your spirit be the evidence of your marking in our lives. Father, I ask that you would heal every person who is here and that needs your touch. Heal the hurting. Heal those that are desperate. Heal those who don't know what to do. And may faith arise in the hearts of your people today to know that you are good. That nothing is impossible with you. That you are the repairer of the breach. That you are the restorer of paths to dwell in. You make a way when there seems to be no way. You cause rivers to spring forth in the desert land. You are our healer. You are our provider. You are our comforter. You are our deliverer. And nothing is too difficult for you. Lord, I pray that not one person would leave today without the hope of knowing that you do work all things together for the good of those who love you and that are called according to your purpose. So we trust you, God. We trust your ways. And we trust your timing. Restore every broken heart and cause the light of your love to immerse us so that we would walk in your freedom, walk in your liberty. And may we shine forth as bright as the sun, agents of change in a dark world, all for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. And all the church says, amen.